This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Psalm 55? This is the last of our summer series of how to pray when in the book of Psalms. And this one was written by David. And David, uh, David had a pretty bad year. Uh, actually, he'd had a pretty bad five years. And by the way, this slide shows a chicken on it, so this, uh, this is worthless for me at this point. So there we go. Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that chicken. I mean, we can go back to the chicken. D- David had had a bad year, bad five years, because his son, Absalom, who he loved desperately, had betrayed him, overthrown his government. There's a, a scene when you get into 2 Samuel chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, the whole story is told in detail of where David is literally escaping with his family and those that were close to him. They're riding out, you know, like in, uh, uh, on their, their mules and their horses and barely escaping before Absalom and his men got there to take over and to destroy and kill David. And at some point, David is now far across the Jordan River. He's up in these forests, hiding out. Heart is broken because he'd been betrayed. And I don't know if you have been betrayed before. If you haven't, it's because you're not old enough. If you live long enough, you will live long enough to be betrayed. And if you live long enough, you'll, you'll be the betrayer. The question, how do you pray when you've been betrayed? In verse 1, he, he lays out this prayer for us. Listen to my prayer, O God. Think, thinking in terms, this is written probably somewhere out in the forest. He is now in hiding. He has no idea what his future is. Hear my prayer, God. Do not ignore my plea. Like I'm begging you, God. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me. I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. And then skip down to verse 12. Because he goes on to say, now look, if it was just an enemy insulting me, I actually could endure that. If it was a foe rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walked about among the worshipers. This, this entire psalm speaks of what a prayer is like, or it gives us a, a playbook, so to speak, a, a roadmap how to pray. I mean, even those words, I used to be with you in the house of God. In the last couple of years, some of you have really felt betrayed by people that were in a church with you. Some of you have felt betrayed by a church that you had been a part of. Some of you might even feel betrayed here. The bummer of a church is it's led by humans. I've heard it said that if you're looking for the perfect church, if you think you've found it, you should leave because you're going to ruin it. <laughs> there is no such thing as that. And so what do we do? How do we pray when we've been betrayed? That's what we're going to talk about, and I want to pray right now. Heavenly Father, 
We're coming to you and your word this morning. Lord, I, I want to specifically give you praise for a testimony I just heard about a guy named Jeremy. Uh, Mark Bourgeois prayed for him. Uh, a spot in his lungs that is miraculously gone. Lord, we give you praise for that. Thank you for that testimony, that thing that can even grow faith inside of us. Lord, thank you for that. Father, we're grateful to live in a community where there are so many amazing other churches right here. Lord, would you be with Pastor Ian at the bridge this morning? Your name is being lifted high there, and we know that when you're lifted high that you draw people unto you. Lord, across the street with Pastor Nathan at, at Graceland, you're, there's life in that building for the first time in a long time, and it's so exciting to get to, to watch you at work. We are one church, Lord, among many, and as we all lift your name high in this community, we pray that you, Lord, will draw. You will do exactly what you said, which is you will draw all men unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this prayer is really interesting because it really follows the journey of what a betrayal feels like. And it's a journey from fear to fury and to faith. And the kind of prayer that David lays out here is one that starts acknowledging the fear that he feels. He then acknowledges the fury. And the truth is, many of us stop at fury. That's where bitterness goes. That's where resentment grows from. But if you will pray in this way, God, I'm honestly afraid. God, I'm really, really ticked. And then, God, I'm casting my cares on you. Finish the prayer. This miraculous thing can happen in your life. And that's what David lays out for us. The first one is just that. It's fear. Like, when you've been betrayed, understand this. If you say that I feel betrayed... Betrayal is not a feeling. Betrayal is an accusation. Betrayal is an action, but that's not the feeling. The feeling is hurt, right? It's uncertainty, but the, the, the feeling beneath all of the feelings is actually fear. And it's fear because everything I thought I knew, I don't, I, can I trust anybody anymore? Like, I... The, the, the betrayals that hurt the most, right? Like, can I trust anybody? The, this, the pastor, that he, he lied to me. It was, can I trust anyone anymore? My spouse wasn't faithful to me. How can I ever trust? Again, that's actually fear. And what does fear make you want to do? It makes you want to run away. And that's exactly what David is talking about. In his prayer, I'm afraid um, that they're assailing me in their anger. I'm, there's terror in me. And if I could do anything, Lord, I, I just want to fly away into the safe place that I once knew, out in the desert. Think about that. Like, isn't that what you would rather do? Like, I would rather, and especially if it's been a personal betrayal, I'd rather just it all go away. I would rather not speak to that person anymore. I'd rather leave that place and go someplace safe. And notice the language here. I, I, I. David was not with an I. David had several hundred people with him, including his wife and children. Fear makes you isolate. Fear makes you selfish. What is really fascinating to me when I was reading this is he's saying, I want to go back to the desert. 
And if you've been around the Bible or a student of Scripture, you might remember that David, when he was a shepherd, used to have to fight things like bears and lions with a, with a sling and stones. And Think about what he's saying right now. I'd rather hang out with lions than liars. I'd rather be, because at least I know the rules. Like last week we were, actually a week ago today, we were in Uganda, and I, uh, I, I, I passed a shall we say, a gratuity, to our guide and said, hey, uh, there's a little bit more of this, where this came from, if you can blow our minds. <laughs> and so we had, uh, we got up pretty early and we were driving, and he's like, oh, look over there, look over there. And, uh, and, and it was a male and a female, and I'm, there are a lot of children. Um, we had stumbled upon an enchanted moment. Where's Anna? Is she in here? Anna goes, ew. <laughs> we were all like, uh. So anyway, we, we, we drive up on this, uh, and this is, you know, post-enchantment, and we were, we were close enough that if, if this thing guy decided he was done with us, it was one leap into our vehicle and you know how you do, I start doing the math, because it's not, if you, if you what they say about being chased by bears or lions, whatever, you don't have to be the fastest, you just can't be the slowest, right? And I'm assessing the situation, I got Eric and my son, I'm like, oh, good Lord, and, and Mike, Mike's like on the treadmill every day, he's in shape, I'm like, I'm kind of the guy that's gonna go out if this guy changes his mind. <laughs> I'm like a ribeye, man, like just, just enough fat to make it delicious, you know? Um, it was, The moment of David is saying, I would rather deal with that because at least I know the rules. That guy's not going to stab me in the back. He's going to jump right in the front and claw my eyes out. Like, I know the rules here. There are no surprises. There's no coming out of left field. And I got to tell you, when you read it that way, you're kind of like, man, I kind of get that. You know, I, in, in the past, we've, we've had... Uh, we've had horses, and, we've, and you know, the horses are nuts, and, and they're beautiful, and they're all those things, but, but I know the rules with a horse. A horse isn't going to lie to me. They're going to surprise you sometimes, but, but they don't betray you. And the temptation, why this is important, is while we're praying through your fear, is the fear of, I just want to fly away from this into a desert, in our context, is you know what, I'm never going to trust again because I don't want to be hurt that way, so I'm never going to let anybody in. I'm going to go to my own desert so no one can ever hurt me that way again. I'm never going to go back to a church again because it hurt me. My friend Josh Howerton shared once from, uh, he who was the pastor at the bridge a, a, a few years back, but he said that at some point someone, in a, a counselor or a mentor, somebody told him when he was talking about his church hurt, um, he would say, man, the church hurt me. And if that's you this morning, the church hurt me. And this mentor told him, just write down the names of the people that hurt you at that church. Just write them all down. And I'm going to get these numbers kind of wrong, but somewhere between four, maybe five people on that list in a church of 4,000. The church didn't hurt him. Four people hurt him. And I would encourage you to think that through as well. Did the church hurt you? Or did a couple of people at a church hurt you? 
And are you willing to kick Jesus' entire bride away because of a broken moment that somebody in a church had with you? Don't let fear steal your relationship with the body of Christ. Don't let fear steal the relationship with your spouse or your children because you've now flown away to the desert. I want to fly here. I want to go here. Now, when you're praying, it's okay. God, I really want out of this. I desperately don't want to be anywhere near this. Jesus, I'm so afraid. I just don't. Laying it out to him in a prayer, because I don't know if you're aware of this or not. If you've, some, some of you deeper theologians know this, but he already knows. You're not surprising him. You're not hiding anything. You might as well take it to him in prayer. Because fear, when I confess it and say it to this, I mean, it's going to lead you someplace. But fear isn't the only thing. Like If you let that fear go and you just let it percolate and settle in, it leads to this next thing, which is the fury. And the fury is what David goes into, man. He is like, Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words. I see violence and strife in the city. He is ticked off. And if you've been betrayed and you say something like, oh, but it's no big deal. It's nothing. It's, that's literally just another form of fear because I just don't want to admit it. Like it's an ostrich in the sand. It's you hiding out in the desert. Being angry about it is a perfectly rational. It's an emotion God gave you to feel to help you heal from betrayal. And so what he's experiencing here is a fury at them. And he is praying some pretty big prayers here, like uh, verse 12. And this is, man, if it was an enemy that were insulting me, I could endure it. If it was a foe rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself. Who do you think he's talking about? Because at first you would think it's Absalom. Many commentators believe this chapter is about this moment in his life, running from Absalom. But Psalm chapter 3 specifically addresses Absalom. I don't think it's Absalom. It doesn't fit. I used to enjoy sweet fellowship in the house of God as we walked about. Another candidate could be a guy named Joab. Joab was the guy that was the chief of his army. And in 2 Samuel, you see his name over and over and over and over again. I think it's chapter one or two or maybe three when Joab messes up and, and David is so mad he curses him. And then Joab comes back and helps him capture Jerusalem. So now he puts him in charge of his army. But it's Joab who creates this whole lie, this scenario that gets Absalom back into the city after Absalom has murdered David's son and Joab gets him back in again. By the way, if you have been betrayed, I'm, I'm going to give you this one for free. You don't have to pay any extra for this. If you have been betrayed, and it's been a big betrayal, if you're honest with yourself, not all the time, okay, not all the time, but many times, you can look back and see that there was a pattern that you didn't deal with earlier and it led to this. I'm not saying it's your fault. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you see David looking the other way. Many times, if there was one fault that David had, it was he was not willing to deal with an uncomfortable situation, whether it was King Saul, whether it was Absalom, whether it was Joab, and it came back to haunt him. 
And not only did it haunt him, it haunted those around him. And I can tell you that there are moments as a leader in my own life that my staff, whether it's in church world, but especially in my previous world, because I wasn't willing to make a hard choice, my staff and my team suffered as well because I didn't have the courage. I would take a half measure when a whole measure was needed. That's free. It's not a thus saith the Lord. But consider that. If you start to see a pattern of like, here it is again in Joab. Literally, read 2 Samuel. You can see how many times Joab, and it's going to happen again. He's going to screw it up again. But is this about Joab? Because he betrayed him. And it isn't because you can see he cursed him. Like It doesn't fit the description. There's one guy and one guy only that fits this description of who this could be that had sweet fellowship with him. That quote, assail, verse 3 of uh, Psalm 55, they assail me in their anger. Who would have been angry enough at David to assail him that fits this? There's a guy named Ahithophel. Fun name, huh? He was his trusted advisor, right? First Chronicles 27, 33. He was the father of one of David's mighty men. Uh, 2 Samuel 23, 34. Like, he was in his world. He betrays David. He actually goes with Absalom. He gives him advice. He literally is helped. So he gets Absalom back in the city. And now he is advising Absalom. What would have made Ahithophel so angry to stab David in the back? Ahithophel's son was Eliam. Eliam's daughter was Bathsheba. Bathsheba, whose husband was murdered by David. This is not a story, a prayer about one betrayal. There are two betrayals in this chapter. And the only difference between the two was how they prayed and how they responded to it. Ahithophel clearly stopped at fury and did not move into faith. Bitterness, unforgiveness. Was it Corey Ten Boom that says that unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping your enemy dies? It didn't do you any good at all to hold that bitterness and that resentment. And look, some of y'all, there's a certain uh, proclivity in some humans that you hold on and you can't let it go. Every conversation begins with a rehashing and a relitigation of everything that person did wrong. And sometimes in your marriages, oh, and this is, this is men and women. I'm, this is not a woman thing, this is not a man thing, this is just a human thing, if this is you. Can I offer you some encouragement? Don't cast that care on your spouse. Follow the command of Jesus or of David here, which is to now command and to cast that care onto God. Now, what are the, what are the cares? Let's start with that question. He, he actually says here, uh, cast your cares on him. He will sustain you. What were his cares? His fear. His fury. Don't hold that. Cast that on God. And what, what does it mean to cast it on him? Well, you know what it means when you cast it on your spouse, don't you? 
kids walk in and they know that dad is in a mood. Don't talk, because dad's in a mood. Be careful. Mom is a little in a mood right now. And what is happening in that moment, I'm as guilty as the next is I am not casting that care on the Lord. I'm casting that care on them, and they're not designed to carry it. It's not fair. And by the way, doesn't do any good. Doesn't fix anything. But when I take it to him in prayer, I mean, have you ever prayed like this to God before? Like when you've been betrayed or hurt? God, I am so scared. I'm so, I don't know what I'm going to do. And God, I I wish you'd kill that guy. Doesn't that feel like wrong at the core? And maybe you don't want them to kill them. Maybe you just want them to lose their job. Maybe you want the destruction of their lives or, or something to wrinkle up and fall off or some kind of a disease that you, you, you're just praying something. There's actually, in therapy and counseling, if you've ever been abused by somebody, one of the things they'll actually tell you to do is write a letter to that person. You're not gonna send it, but you just tell them everything, and you tear it up. Now there's something to that, sure. But what if you took it and cast that care on the Father, who can, he can sustain you. Interesting, by the way, this is something I just, I learned this for the first time, you know what I mean, I learn all the time. And something I learned this week was that when you cast your care on him, he will sustain you. Does not mean, like, you know, uh, Ethan was with us in, in Uganda, and Caleb kept casting his bags on Ethan so Ethan could carry his bags for him. Perfectly good strategy. Um, but that's not what this means. This doesn't mean cast your care on him, and then Jesus carries the care, and you walk with no weight at all. It means that he strengthens you so that you can get through that. That's different. In your weakness, he is strong, is actually quite literal. Casting my fear, my hurt, my fury on him, something supernatural happens. He sustains you, and you don't get trapped in the bitterness hole that for the rest of your life, You're litigating it when that person walks in. And by the way, this is a process that God uses to heal. And as someone that's had this happen, at some point, you'll see that person and you don't feel it anymore. You didn't make a decision that I'm not going to feel this and in faith I don't feel this in Jesus' name. No. I just pray and I, I don't feel that anymore. And I don't, and I'm going to tell you, in just a few minutes we have left, I'm going to tell you why that it works. The sustaining comes in the simplicity and in the power of the gospel. You see, me casting my fury on the Lord, right? I'm just laying it on him. I can do that because our Father takes his fury fury at our sin, his wrath at my sin, and he doesn't cast it on me, he cast it on Jesus on the cross. Because he cast his fury on Jesus, now I can cast mine on him.
He has closed the chasm. The most cosmic, ultimate betrayal in the world was Jesus on a cross, the Father looking down on him and turning his back on him. You see, Absalom deserved, deserved what he got. David deserved what he got. You and I deserve in some way some of the things that have happened because the sin in our lives, things happen that the punishment, the wrath of God, we deserve that. But because he put it on him, we don't carry it anymore. And because we don't carry it anymore, that sustains us. And when the father turned his back on Jesus, now he looks at you and me and he sees you and me in the same way that he sees Jesus. Because since I deserve it, God doesn't injustice just with a wink and a nod and say, boys will be boys. No, it ha- there has to be a, a punishment. There has to be a retribution. I said it a couple of weeks ago, but the cross was the way that God could cancel my sin and not cancel me. And that's true of you. An interesting thing happened in, as this story unfolded in Samuel's retelling of it. I think it's in Samuel 14, let's skip ahead, 14, 14. A woman that Joab had sent in to try to talk David into getting back Absalom into the kingdom. She ends with this sentence when she's saying about, about restoring, why are you not going to restore Absalom back into the kingdom? Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered. This is what she said to David. So we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished, listen, so that a banished person, Absalom, a banished person does not remain banished from him. That is what the cross did. You and I, a banished person living east of Eden, are no longer banished because of what Christ did for us to restore us back into relationship with God. Verse 22, chapter 5, the prayer. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Didn't say he's not going to let you be betrayed. Not on this side of heaven. But he did say he's not going to let you be shaken. And I'll, you know, verse 20, 23, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty, deceitful, will not live out half of their days. I read that, and in America, that feels pretty harsh. We spent a few hours with some kids who had been in a refugee camp in southern Sudan and northern Uganda whose parents had been murdered, whose families had been massacred, and who prayed, God, how long before you will avenge us? When you spend time in Eastern Asia and South Asia and these persecuted Christians, every one of those persecutors, if they will call upon the name of the Lord, they can receive the same grace that you and I receive. If they cast their care on him because God's wrath was cast on Jesus, they too 
can be, will be received in as righteous. But if they reject, if you in this room reject, there's this passage in Revelation, and this is a, I'm going to make a statement that I don't 100% theologically could make a case for, but I think is true. It talks about your name being erased from the book of life. There's this indication that everybody's name is written in it, and when you reject him, that your name is erased from it. It's not a statement of like, I'm just trying to get my name written in this book. It's I'm trying to keep my name from being erased from it, and all I have to do is believe on what he did for me. And if I reject that, the answer to that prayer of my kingdom come, my will be done, is you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. That, you want it your way, Darren? Here's how that goes. One last thing. The betrayal here was adultery, right? It started with adultery. Stealing Bathsheba. Ahithophel's advice to Absalom to get back at his dad was to set up a tent outside of David's throne and violate his wives, getting revenge on him. It was adultery. Now think with me on this. Betrayal. Jesus said, and this gets taken out of context a lot, but he was talking about marriage and that if, 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 if your spouse is unfaithful, that they, you can put your spouse away. You can divorce because they've been unfaithful to you. And, and much has been made over what, you know, this or that. But listen, think through what, I'm the bride of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. When I am unfaithful to Jesus, I am committing adultery on Jesus. I've been unfaithful to Jesus. He gives himself the out and he doesn't take it. That's the goodness of God. Because of the cross, even if you've been unfaithful to him, he still welcomes you in because you are the bride of Christ and he doesn't see you in the filthy rags of your unrighteousness anymore. He sees you in the white, pure righteousness of God. And that is why we can cast our cares on him. And that is how he sustains us in that. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom today in how to apply this in our lives in this room? If there are people who have been betrayed, who feel betrayed now, Lord, who feel betrayed by me, Lord, would you move in us and teach us to just pray that fear, pray that fury, and allow it to grow into the faith and the faith that we can trust that you are so good that you would, you would literally, willingly, and lovingly be crucified for us. If we could just believe that, Lord, then we know that you're good and you'll take care of the rest of it and sustain us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.